Greetings from the Lord's Church in Rosenberg, Texas. Uh, That's where I was last week for a gospel meeting. That is where Andy Baker serves as one of the preachers and Logan Summers as another one of the preachers. We helped support Andy when he was in school of preaching at Southwest. And the relationship this church has had with Logan over the years has been special indeed. It was great to be there. They're doing a wonderful work in preaching. And there's a lot of impressive things about the church in Rosenberg. And we have been able to have a little bit of influence due to the men that we have helped encourage. Like Andy and Logan. Outside of Jesus... Outside of Jesus, if you could construct the church member of your dreams, who would that person be and what would they look like? Outside of Jesus, if you could somehow construct the church member of your dreams, who would that person be? What would they look like? I think that's an interesting question. Certainly the church member of our dreams should coincide with the church member that God desires. I know this. While a number of biblical characters could be chosen, I don't believe that anybody would argue with the individual whose name I'm about to give. Barnabas. If I could have the church member of my dreams outside of the Lord himself, it would be very hard to argue against Barnabas. More about that in just a moment, but I want you to think about this with me. Does anyone really have the right to criticize and to critique and to judge the people of God who has no intention of ever becoming the type of church member God desires? I think that's a pretty good question too, don't you? Therefore, every Christian should feel this compulsion, this desire, this overwhelming need to seek to be the type of Christian that makes God smile. The kind of Christian he desires us to be. I choose Barnabas. When we read about him first in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, we learn this. He's a Levite from Cyprus. And this background as a Jew would serve him well as the years would go on. A Levite, the priestly tribe from Cyprus. Actually, his name is Joseph. And like a number of biblical characters, we tend to know them by their surname, what they were called by others. His name was Joseph, but he was called Barnabas 
which being interpreted means son of consolation or son of encouragement. And the idea is this. He was so encouraging and consoling just to be around him, it's like you're getting an encouragement transfusion. He had the ability to pour encouragement on others. And he was so encouraging... They called him Barnabas. If you were given a nickname, a surname by the early church or the church of today, what would that surname be? Son of discouragement? Daughter of discouragement? Son of pride? Daughter of pride? Son of self, what would it be? He particularly excelled in this area, and if he were alive today, I don't have any doubt that we would call him Brother Barney. Brother Barney, because he's so encouraging. Now think about this. God is called the God of all consolation, the God of all encouragement in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. In other words, this is a quality, an attribute of God himself, and it's an attribute in which Barnabas seems to excel. Remember the old song, Home, Home on the Range, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. Wouldn't it be great if congregations of the Lord's people could have that said about them, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. And the skies are not cloudy all day. What I'd like for us to do this morning is to look at the life of Barnabas as an encourager. And we'll be looking especially at the book of Acts, but also the book of Galatians. And here are six characteristics that we should seek if we want to be an encourager like Barnabas. The church member of God's dreams certainly is encouraging like Barnabas. You should already be at Acts 4 verses 36 and 37 and that is the first passage we're going to examine. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm talking to you this morning. I'm not talking to the person sitting beside you. I'm not talking to the person in the row in front of you or in the row behind you. I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to you. And the need for encouragement. You know, encouragement is always in short supply. I think about the shelves a couple of years ago during COVID and one would see that things were in short supply. Well, I'll tell you what, like toilet paper or hand sanitizer, encouragement can be in short supply and often that's true, not just during a pandemic. We have to deal with a lot of discouragement. Discouragement maybe at work. 
Discouragement at school. Discouragement maybe with family members. We have to deal with so much discouragement. and then, Yes, and we expect to even in the church. It seems like the fleas just come with the dog, don't they? And in some congregations, there's so much discouragement. They have a discouragement committee that's able to pour cold water on any desire to draw closer to the Lord in any act of service or ministry. We've tried that before. It didn't work. It's not going to work. I said this recently at a congregation, and someone came up to me at, after services and said, Brother Mike, you know what you said about that cold water committee? You could be drowning in the ocean, and this is the kind of person that would get a cup of cold water, and they pour it over your head. Add insult to injury. Well, this person walked up to me after services and said, Mike, not only do we have a committee, I can tell you who the chairman of it is. Now think about that. Look at Acts 4, 36 and 37. Since this is a personal lesson, like Barnabas, that's how I'll begin each main point, like Barnabas, I will encourage others. That's how I'll begin each main point. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by practicing biblical stewardship. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by practicing biblical stewardship. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalm 24 and verse 1. If a man be a steward, he must first be faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. It is more blessed to give than to receive, the supreme beatitude, Acts 20 and verse 35. See to it that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. Barnabas has a piece of property that he sells. It's a time when there's some needs in the early church. Some people had become Christians and they were a long way from home and they needed financial help. Others were poor and sick and the church would reach out to them. The people of God would do that. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by practicing biblical stewardship. We are managers of all that God gives. That most assuredly involves our finances. Indeed, no one is really faithful in much unless they're faithful in little things like their giving. Luke 16, verses 10 through 12. Luke 12 and verse 48. But we're not just managers of our finances. Barnabas lays this money at the apostles' feet and they can use it for the good of the kingdom. But we're also managers of our time. It's one thing that we all will have the same amount of each week. Everybody's got 168 hours, don't we? 
And people use their time differently. And some of that is a matter of individuality. Some of it's about judgment. But when we see that our week is a gift from God to manage, we need to think of our time and serving God throughout the week. No question about that. I'm sure I'm speaking to some people this morning, and I say this respectfully, that we won't see tonight or Wednesday. And I realize people can use their time, and maybe you're working or you're caring for someone that's sick. So don't misunderstand me, but I am saying that time is a sacred trust, and we will give an account to God for the way we use it or abuse it. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Help me to remember how short my time is. Psalm 89, 47. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. We're stewards of our finances. We're student, uh, stewards of our time. And we're stewards or managers of our gifts and talents. And this is where it's so great to be able to encourage others in the practice of biblical stewardship. Not everybody can lead singing. Not everybody can be a pulpit preacher. Not everybody can be a shepherd in the church. But every single one of us can be an encourager like Barnabas. I've known of congregations where the ladies in the congregation would go to nursing homes and do ladies' hair in the nursing home. I can tell you I have no gifts there. I am not qualified in that area. But I am thankful for ladies that use their gifts and talents to talk to others about God while they're serving. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and following. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, give I to you. Some guys are really good at fixing cars. You know what? I suspect there's widows in the congregation that would really be blessed by your talent or gift. Mechanics to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Some people are really good with technology. There's a lot of people that you can serve because of the gift of technology that you have. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others. And by the way, here's how you begin in technology. Did you unplug it and plug it in and having turned it off, turned it on again? That's where you always begin. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the practicing of biblical stewardship, number two. Turn in your Bibles now to Acts 9. Acts 9, verses 22 through 27. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the extending of friendship. 
Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the extending of friendship. When you look at Acts 9, to many Christians, it is a familiar chapter because it's one of three chapters, along with chapter 22 and 26, that recount the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. They tell us about how Saul, Paul, became Paul, the Christian. And when you look at Acts 9, 22 through 27, it immediately follows the conversion of Saul, Acts 9, 1 through 19. At some point he goes to Jerusalem, Saul does, and I want you to understand this about him. At this point in his life, devout Jews who were Pharisees, especially like Paul had been, wanted him dead. They could not believe that he has become a Christian. And he would say himself in Galatians 1.23, the church that I sought to persecute, now I am being persecuted as part of that church. Well, faithful Jews wanted him dead. And faithful Christians were afraid of him. You can imagine why. Carting Christians off to prison, being party to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, all kinds of things. And you would think something like this. I could see if Saul walked into our building, our ushers keeping a really close eye on him. Because he had persecuted the church. And there is some question about whether he is here to hurt people. To terrorize the church. He'd made havoc of the church. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And by so doing, he was persecuting Jesus himself. So said our Lord. Acts 9, 4 through 6. Now, if you're Saul, think about this. You're probably thinking Psalm 142 and verse 4. No man cares for my soul. Jews want to see me dead. And Christians are afraid of me. I'm a man without a country. I'm a man without a home. And there he is. And the text says, But Barnabas, but Barnabas extended friendship to Saul. At a moment in his life when that was a tremendous need, Barnabas is a friend of Saul. I know there's 4-H groups and a lot of y'all have been involved in raising pigs or, or calves or something like that. There can be a 4S group at church that we don't want to be part of. Sacred Society for Snubbing Sinners. Barnabas reached out the right hand of fellowship, it seems, to Paul. 
And that encouragement must have meant a lot in Paul's walk with God. Extending friendship. The Bible says, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. Barnabas and Paul would sharpen each other by working together closely in the Lord. Are you the type of person that's willing to extend friendship to someone else? Maybe someone that others are afraid of or they wonder about. I think of my son David and the amount of study he has done recently with Jordan who attended here a number of years ago and I mentioned him a couple of times who knew nothing about God, knew nothing about the church and in how in about a week or so I will go and baptize him into Christ in Wisconsin. David was Jordan's Barnabas. May we all seek to encourage others by extending friendship that can lead to Bible studies, that can lead to souls coming to Jesus. It's the New Testament way. It's the New Testament way. Establishing a friendship, teaching Jesus, them coming to Christ. And think about what's happened here. Because Barnabas became his friend, Daryl. Paul would end up becoming the man of God. He did because Barnabas helped invest in, in, in Paul. Now, he wouldn't think of it that way. But that's why we need more like him. Because that's exactly what Jesus would do. And that's exactly what he did in the lives of 12 men initially. He invested himself in them as a friend and they were able to change the world by his power and message. Acts 17, 6, to turn the world upside down. Number three. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 11. Look at Acts 11, verses 20 through 24. Here are the main points. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the practicing of biblical stewardship. Secondly, from Acts 9, like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the extending of biblical friendship. Acts 11, 20 through 24, like Barnabas, I will encourage others by building biblical partnerships. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by building biblical partnerships. Let me show you what I mean. Interestingly, some people from Cyprus and elsewhere had gone to Antioch, one of the major cities of the first century world. They had gone there and instructed others. And evidently these people had all become Christians in Antioch. There is a young church it's the baby ward, the maternity ward in Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem hears about 
this new congregation with baby Christians everywhere. And here is the question. Who do they send? I'm going to tell you what. In every congregation, there's some people that are not going to be sent. And it's a no-brainer. They have the gift of being able to walk into a circumstance like that and they can pour gas on it and they are spiritual pyromaniacs. Watch me as it burns. (laughs) They're able to burn up everything that God has done. The wisdom of the early church is seen in who they sent. The wisdom of congregations or the lack thereof is seen today in who is sent. They send Barnabas. You send Mr. Encouragement himself because if there's anybody that's going to help them draw closer to God and ground them in things that are holy and true, it'll be Barnabas, and yet he's got such a disposition, such a character about him that's so godly that they're going to think that they're in the presence of Jesus even though Jesus has ascended back to heaven because Barnabas is like Jesus in how he encourages. And then you look at this section in 20 through 24, and it says when Barnabas got there, he saw the grace of God and was glad. He was a good man and full of faith. He's building a partnership with these Christians. A partnership that would honor the Lord. I want you to know the church at Antioch becomes one of the major congregations we read about in the book of Acts. And it becomes a launching pad for the gospel. So much so that the gospel will get into Europe and elsewhere because of Antioch sending people to these places. They send Barnabas, who's from Cyprus, when some individuals from Cyprus had been involved in that work initially. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And he sees the grace of God at work and is so glad. Partnerships are being developed. And I'm sure that Barnabas didn't realize it at the time, but it wouldn't be long before the church there at Antioch would be the church that sends them out on the first missionary journey, Acts 13. Building partnerships. Keep looking at Acts 11. Look at 20 through 26. Verse 26, a well-known verse. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What I want you to see also is a fourth characteristic of encouragement. Like Barnabas... Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in the developing of spiritual leadership. I will encourage others in the 
developing of spiritual leadership. Now Barnabas gets to Antioch and he's glad for what he sees and, and, and he's full of faith. But one of the things Barnabas understands is this job is bigger than I am. Who can be incorporated into this great work of bringing people along in the faith, of teaching the lost and bringing these new Christians along so they'll be faithful to God till their dying breath and then live with Him forevermore? Boom! Saul, Paul, this work is so big and great, I'm not going to try to tackle it alone. I need help. I need help. As far as I can tell, no one can be two places at the same time. So Barnabas had to leave temporarily, but he's thinking that if Paul comes back with me, we're going to have an extra hand that has a lot of ability, and he loves the Lord, and they're going to see this in him, and we can work together. Teamwork makes everything come together better. As far as I know, Barnabas never wrote a New Testament letter. There's a few who think he may have written Hebrews, but he didn't claim to. He'd have been well qualified to, but he didn't claim to. But Barnabas greatly influenced two men who had a lot to say in the New Testament. Paul, John Mark, Developing leadership is one of those areas that Mr. Encouragement encouraged in. Now keep looking along. Because after you get out of Acts 11 and you get to Acts 12 and you get to Acts 13 and on into 14, you see that Paul and Barnabas do mission work together. We commonly call it the first missionary journey, Acts 13. And it is called Paul and Barnabas. And sometimes it is said in this context of Acts 13 into Acts 14, Paul and his company. Isn't Barnabas there? Only especially in Acts 14 verse 12 when Barnabas is likened to Zeus, the chief of the gods of the Greeks. And Paul is likened to Hermes, the uh, messenger of the gods. Only then does he come first. Really. It typically is Paul and Barnabas. Now, you ever get a little bit miffed, guys, when somebody sends a letter to your house and your name is mentioned second? You ever get miffed a little bit? For example... Sherry and Carl Ivanhoe, Julie and Adam Orr, Cherie and Mike Vestal. What are those folks thinking? Uh, that's, that's just not, it's just not the way that it's done. And Barnabas could have been thinking it should have been Barnabas and Paul because he's where he is because I encouraged him. You know why he don't think that way? Barnabas 
doesn't care who gets the credit so long as God gets the praise. Mr. Encouragement can't think a different way. He doesn't get so territorial. This is my baby. I brought you along to take care of these babies. He doesn't get that way. There's an old poem that says, It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Because that means somebody else's first fiddle. Barnabas didn't care as long as the music was sweet music to God in the service that was being offered. He is developing leaders. Open your Bibles now to Acts 15. Following along, this is number 5. Acts 15 verses... 36 to the end of the chapter. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by rebuilding broken relationships. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others by rebuilding broken relationships. Here's what's happening in Acts 15. Acts 15 is when the leaders of the early church come together and they answer the question, what is going to be done about Gentiles becoming Christians? Are we going to make them be circumcised and to observe various aspects of the law? There were some people that were saying, yes, we are. And the apostles and the leaders of the early church come together and say, uh-uh, it ain't going to happen because it's not right in the sight of God. It twists and dilutes the gospel of Jesus who is man to add anything to the gospel or take anything away from it. I want you to know that Paul and Barnabas agreed wholeheartedly with one another on that matter. And so did Peter and James and others. That's what Acts 15 tells us. Not only that, they could look back in Acts 13 and 14 of their history together and the good that had been done, and they could do so, Paul and Barnabas, with a lot of fondness. And then it is suggested in Acts 15 that they go to the congregations that they had visited before in an earlier trip and see how they're doing. And there's great agreement there. And then Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, not going to happen. And what we have here is a clash of the heavyweights. It's like you guys trying to fight your dad, all three of you at once. Clash of the heavyweights. For a little while longer, it's not going to last too long. Dad can take care of things. But they're both heavyweights. Paul, on, in this corner, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul, in this corner, Mr. Encouragement, Barnabas. And so what happened is they duked it out. There was a sharp contention where there was more heat than there was light, and they divided the early church, and that's what happens. Now, that's what typically happens in 2024. But it didn't happen then. Though there was a sharp disagreement. And who was right? 
Who was right? And be careful before you open your mouth and attempt to answer that. Allow me to be Brother Paul for just a minute. Oh, Brother Barney, I'm so thankful for you and for the encouragement that you tend to be in the church. You helped me, and I thank you so long ago. And you extended friendship with, to me when I really needed it. But we are going back to see churches that we have visited, and we're going to try to encourage them. Don't you remember what happened in Acts 13, 13? The Word of God says John Mark left us. He left us. He left us then. The memory that's going to be in the memory banks of these Christians that we brought to Christ or helped grow in Christ is going to be, if we take him, here's somebody that left us when he was needed the most. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. He's not coming. We need to think about what the man can do for the gospel and how the man can reach people. We need to be thinking about that. He let us down before, and I am not going to put myself in a position in this trip of having John Mark leave us again. I don't know why he left. He missed mom's home cooking. He had a girlfriend, James. But whatever the reason was, he left. And he's not coming with us because he, he's too immature. He's not ready for this. It's hard work. Now can I be Barnabas for a second? Paul, I know exactly what you're saying. I do not condone what John Mark did in the first missionary journey. I don't. And you're right to talk about what the man can do for the gospel, but might I also add we need to think about what the gospel can do for the man. What the gospel can do for the man. The gospel's about second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And Paul... You thought that you could do what was wrong in all good conscience before you came to know more. John Mark was immature, okay. But shouldn't we give him another chance? What happens is Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to do the work of the Lord. Paul takes Silas. And rather than hurt the church, they multiply the work that's being done in the name of Christ. Now, they differed. That tells me that good, godly, faithful men can differ in a matter of judgment. They didn't disagree about what to do with Gentiles who were coming to Christ. They didn't disagree about what to do with these teachers who were trying to add circumcision and the law to faith, repentance, and baptism. They didn't disagree with the past that they had together. They disagreed about whether or not to take John Mark on this journey. 2 Timothy 4.11, at the close of Paul's life, says... 
bring John Mark with you. He is useful to me in ministry. Brother useless, Acts 13, 13, who left us, is brother useful in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Barnabas saw the grace of God and was glad. And so was Paul. Because the gospel gives individuals second and third chances. Even though men and women of God need to be men and women of God in doing his work. Turn to Galatians 2. Galatians 2, 11 through 15 for the sixth and final characteristic of encouragement. Now, if we were to bring Barnabas here, and this is the way it ought to be because it's not my purpose to lift up Barnabas. That's not what I'm about this morning or any other morning. I am lifting this man's gift of encouragement up because it reflects so wondrously the encouragement we all receive from God. And no one would give a more hearty amen to 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me even as I also follow Christ, than Barnabas. Now look at Galatians 2, 11 through 15. Like Barnabas... I will encourage others in restoring biblical fellowship. Like Barnabas, I will encourage others in restoring biblical fellowship. Now here's the scene. Peter is mistreating Gentile Christians. He isolates himself. He withdraws from them. It seems like he's hanging around some of those uh, Jewish cronies that thought that you had to add circumcision and aspects of the law to, to things for people to be saved as Gentiles. And I am always amazed when I read this section because it tells you so much about the character of Barnabas. Notice how Paul puts it. He says, even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy, with the dissimulation, with the respect of persons that was being shown to Jewish Christians to the neglect of Gentile Christians. Even Barnabas, mark it down, apostolic surprise, apostolic shock. I'm going to tell you what. When it comes to partiality and prejudice, there's plenty of people in the church that that wouldn't surprise me a bit. Not one bit. Nor should it. But what Paul is saying speaks volumes about the character of Barnabas. It is so uncharacteristic. It is so unlike him. It is so unlike Mr. Encouragement to be Mr. Discouragement. And Paul said, I stood to Peter, up to Peter to the face because he was condemned. He was wrong. 
And Barnabas saw all of that. And much like Peter saw the error of his ways. Here's Peter who did the preaching to Cornelius in his house in Acts 10 and 11. And he's the one that's mistreating Gentiles this way. You'd have thought he'd have learned by now. Even Barnabas. Are you the type of person that when you sin and when you mess up royally, there will be genuine shock from people who know you the best and who love you? Or will they simply say, no shock there, no surprise? That tells us a lot about Barnabas. Now here's something to consider before we leave Galatians 2. This incident is mentioned in Galatians 2, 11 through 15 and only in Galatians 2, 11 through 15. It is not referred to by Peter again. It is not referred to by Barnabas again. It is not referred to by Paul again. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And as fellowship is restored, people's sins are not remembered and publicized anymore. I wish that we were that big today. Often we are not. Barnabas is a great encourager only because his life so beautifully reflects the master encourager, Jesus. He left the glory of heaven and became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He extends his hand to sinners and says, I want to be your friend, but much more than that, I want to be your Lord and Savior. He was just the one who was needed to come into a sinful world because he brought the grace of God and was glad. And he wasn't just good, he was perfect. And he's been in the development business ever since of people's hearts and lives, transforming the mind of Christ, the Bible calls it. Philippians 2 verse 5. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27. When you think about Barnabas, he's just a miniature version of Jesus in the area of encouragement. Are you? Are you? Am I? To come to Jesus and respond to God's grace, you must have faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6. You must trust in Jesus.
Unless you believe that he is God's son, you'll perish. John 8, 21 through 24, the Bible talks about turning from sin in repentance. Acts 17, 30, faith, repentance, and baptism. It is at the point of baptism that one's sins are washed away by Jesus and that one is added to the church. We talk about faith, repentance, and baptism a great deal because we want to encourage you to come to Jesus. And for those that have come, I hope that this lesson makes you think about being the type of member that pleases God and would be the church member of our elders' dreams because you'd honor the great shepherd Jesus. Let us stand and sing.